We're going to talk about how thinking becomes so distorted. It is something that is a, a, a problem that is pictured in so many places in the scriptures, one that uh, may come to your mind when you think about a distorted or broken thinking. Uh, is the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17 when he says, I'm telling you this and insist on it in the Lord that you should not live your life like the Gentiles anymore. They base their lives on pointless thinking. They are in the dark in their reasoning. They are disconnected from God's life because of the ignorance of their ignorance and their closed hearts. And you read that and that can kind of be some shocking language in and of itself to think about, well, I don't want you to be like the world because uh, they, they are part of the darkened reasoning and pointless thinking, darkened in their understanding and futile in, in their ways. But can you imagine if God were to say such words to the people of God? And in the book of Ezekiel, that's exactly what he does, is he takes this very picture of being darkened in their thinking, futile in their ways, not understanding which way to go, and says it to his own people in trying to get them to understand where they are before God. And so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to observe in, in Ezekiel chapters 12 through 14 these pictures that God uses in explaining why the people have become darkened in their thinking. How did they get to this point? What is going on that God's people would get to such a point that they cannot hear truth, they cannot see God clearly, and because of that, they're unable to be redeemed and saved by God? Because that message can be very important. It's one thing to look on the road and go, oh yeah, they don't understand, they don't have good thinking. But sometimes we can think, well, we've got it all figured out. And there's a big warning that we too can move to that kind of darkened thinking and futile uh, understanding. Uh, you'll notice how the picture begins in Ezekiel uh, chapter 12. It is a, an interesting picture where uh, the word of the Lord comes to Ezekiel and tells him in verse 2, Mortal, you are living in the midst of a rebellious house who have eyes to see but do not see who have ears to hear and do not hear, for they are a rebellious house. So here's the problem. They, they've got eyes, they've got ears, but they're unable to hear, they're unable to see because of their rebelliousness. So uh, an interesting way that, that is put forward uh, by God. But you, you might remember that that is exactly how uh, Jesus walks around talking and saying, you have uh, eyes, but you do not see. You have ears, but you do not hear. This is the very same problem. It's the same thing that we just read that the Apostle Paul is saying. When you're darkened in your understanding and futile in your thinking, that is you have eyes to see, but you don't see. You have ears to hear, but you're unable to ultimately hear. And so here is this picture that now what God is going to do is because they are unable to hear and unable to see, He's going to have Ezekiel do a couple of parables, not say a couple of parables, but do a couple of parables. And it's important to understand that because that is a reason that Jesus gives as to why he must also speak in parables. And this is why God is going to have uh, Ezekiel do a parable. His first parable in, in chapter 12 is, is particularly interesting. He is told to pack a bag like an exile Pack up some things, put it in a bag, do it in the daytime and show everybody that you have your bag packed. 
And then when it becomes evening, I want you to go to the wall and I want you to dig through the wall and carry your bags in the darkness. But as you carry your bags in the darkness, I want you to keep your head covered. So just have, have a covering over your head, over your face, over your head and carry your bag as you go. And you go, that had to be pretty strange looking. You can imagine the people in exile watching Ezekiel as he put, puts a bag together. You can imagine, well, where are you going? Here, here we are in Babylon. You're packing a bag. Where do you think you're going, Ezekiel? And then by night, carrying it out as if he's going somewhere. And I want you to notice that in verse 7, it says, He did just as he was commanded. I brought out my baggage by day, baggage for an exile. And in the evening, I dug through the wall with my own hands and I brought it out in the dark and carried it on my shoulder in in their sight. And I want you to notice what happens in verse 8. It says, And in the morning, the word of the Lord came to me, Mortal, has not the house of Israel, this rebellious house, said to you, What are you doing? (laughs) Now, I want to zero in on that for a minute because that was the point of the parable. The point of the parable was to go to Ezekiel and go, what are you doing? The point of the parable was not, well, there's crazy Ezekiel, you know, doing another crazy parable. Who knows what that means and why is he doing all these things? The point was not to be dismissive. But to just go through this whole activity, not say a word and see who's going to come up to them and ask, what are you doing? And so that's what the next day God says. Now, when they come up to you and say, what was that? Here's what I want you to say. And he says there in verse 10, thus says the Lord God, this oracle concerns the prince in Jerusalem and all the house of Israel in it say, I am a sign for you as I have done. Show it, so it shall be done to them. They shall go into exile, into captivity. The rest, most of the chapter through verse 16, essentially then is an explanation of this parable of Ezekiel explaining, here's what that meant. And the short explanation is, Back in Judah, back in Jerusalem, those people were not going to be fine. Remember, we've seen in the book of Ezekiel that there was this thinking that the people in exile were the ones being punished. And the people who were in Judah and in Jerusalem, they were the good meat. They were the righteous ones. They were going to be fine. And so here is this parable to show, oh, no, God's not done with them yet. In fact, the king Zedekiah is going to be captured. He's going to have his eyes poked out and carried away to Babylon, which is what he was doing in that parable by having this darkness over his face and carrying out a bag as he goes, trying to give a picture to the people that things are not going to go well in Jerusalem. God is not done in this judgment. And so that was the reason for that first parable. The second parable tracks along similarly in verse 17 when God just tells Ezekiel there to eat your bread with quaking and drink your water with trembling and with fearfulness. I like to just visualize these parables. You can just imagine Ezekiel sitting there with like, with like a cup of water and he's, he's trembling as he drinks over it. And again, the people are looking at him going, what are you doing, Ezekiel? What are, what, what are you trying to signify now? But it was just symbolizing the devastation. The people who were staying in Jerusalem were not going to be living in comfort and ease and 
carefree. Trouble is coming to them. Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. The land is going to be devastated. And so God is going to fulfill his promises of bringing judgments against Jerusalem and Judah. And here then is is Ezekiel then picturing that in the way that he was going to eat his bread and he was going to drink drink his water. Now, why do that? Why, Why does he need to indicate that besides just getting the people to pay attention to him uh, as a prophet of God. I want you to notice what you see was going on at that time. Look, listen to what it says was happening in verse 21. The word of the Lord came to me, mortal, what is this proverb of yours about in the land of Israel, which says the days are prolonged and every vision comes to nothing. I want you to get a sense of what they're saying. They're going around saying, I know that all of these prophets keep saying judgment. They keep having visions of destruction, but it keeps coming to nothing. Nothing ever happens. They've been saying this for hundreds of years. And that would be true if you think about the prophets. You could track back to the days of Isaiah in the 700s. And if you were alive now and 593 around the time of Ezekiel, you'd go, well, hey, it's been 160 years of saying doom and destruction. When's it going to happen? And so that's what they're doing is ultimately mocking. And it says there in verse 22, the days are prolonged and every vision comes to nothing. Notice in verse 27 what they're saying. The house of Israel is saying the vision that he sees is for many years ahead, he prophesies for distant times. So you have, oh, we've heard this song and dance for years and years and years, and every prophecy and every vision comes to nothing. And then there's another group going, and even if it does, oh, it's going to be a long time down the road. It's not going to affect us. He's talking about later generations. We're all fine and good. You can imagine that God was really pleased by hearing that. And you'll notice what God's answer to that was. And you notice he says there in verse 23, tell them, therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will put an end to this proverb and they shall use it no more as a proverb in Israel, but say to them, the days are near and the fulfillment of every vision for there shall no longer be any false vision or flattering divination within the house of Israel. But I, the Lord, will speak the word that I speak and it will be fulfilled. It will no longer be delayed. But in your days, O rebellious house, I will speak the word and fulfill it, says the Lord God. So here's what Oh, you want to say that it doesn't apply to you, that God just keeps saying prophecies and visions never happen and for its long time down the road? God goes, watch this. Okay, it's now. <laughs> you want to say it's a really long time? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make it in your days. I'm not going to delay any longer. And I want us to consider that this is one of the first of three pictures that we're going to see in these chapters that reveal to us why you end up with broken thinking. And notice the broken thinking here is just mocking the patience of God. That they look at what God is doing in the world and doing even toward them and looking at God's messages and saying, well, God's always said stuff like that and nothing ever comes of it. It doesn't really matter if he talks about judgments and sin and 
destruction to come and things like that. What does it really matter? Because it just always is talking like that and nothing ever happens. It is ultimately a a mocking of God's patience that happens. And one of the things that I, I think you see the scriptures trying to drive to us is our futility of thinking often arises from no longer being thankful for God's patience. Instead of waking up and saying, well, I guess there's not a judgment today. (laughs) It's been delayed yet again. We might be more valuable to wake up and appreciate that there has been another day of God's love and patience on display. Rather than doubting God's judgment or doubting God's word, appreciate the, the truth of how God is truly trying to indicate to us, he really does not want any to perish. And thus, time continues to march on. We read through the scriptures and think about how the people were worthy of judgment for years upon years and generation upon generation. And ultimately, sometimes you can read that and go, well, what is God waiting for? And it is the extraordinary display of God's patience. And yet now what the people are doing is mocking it. They're mocking the patience of God and saying, well, he's been saying that for a really long time. It's never going to happen. And if it ever does, it's going to be a long time from now. You ever thought that way? You think, oh, well, you know, God's been talking about judgment for a pretty long time. And here we are thousands of years after Christ. And even if it was going to happen, it certainly won't happen in our lifetime, right? It's going to be a long time down the road. It is easy to to slip into that kind of thinking, to fall into that and think, well, you know, it's certainly not going to happen today. I mean, come on, it can't be now. It certainly wouldn't be tomorrow. It wouldn't be this week, right? It certainly won't happen in 2023, right? It's got to be a long time down the road. That's how they were living. The way they got to broken thinking and and futile living was believing judgments a long time from now. You've got nothing to worry about today. You do what you want to do. You've got so much time and mocking the fact that God could at any time do it. So much so that God then comes in and says, okay, I will do it. Mock me with my patience. I will bring the judgment. I will go ahead and carry out exactly what I said. And so that is the first picture that is given here is that mocking God's patience leads to rebellious lives. We could probably prove that. It would be a fun little test if you had a, a platform. You went around the world and asked everybody, if God comes tomorrow at 8 a.m., are you going to do something different right now? I bet you would. I, I, I bet there would be some kind of shift of what you would do in your fat last few hours tonight than what you were originally planning. We can prove that that matters, but the delay so easily can cause us to live rebellious lives. The second picture and the reasoning why that these people have darkened thinking and futile in their understanding is observed in chapter 13. And notice what we, he, what we see God explaining is happening now. Chapter 13, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to me, mortal prophesy against the prophets of Israel who are prophesying, Say to those who prophesy out of their own imaginations, 
Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, alas, for the senseless prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. Let's start with with that picture. He says, here's what I want you to, 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 to speak, Ezekiel. Talk to the people who are prophesying. But notice he says, their prophecies come out of their own head. <laughs> he says, I didn't tell them that. They're not saying what I told them to say. They're following their own desires. They're following their own spirits. They're, they're saying what they feel like saying. And it's ultimately then coming from their own thinking and their own imaginations. I think that is such a, a fascinating picture to think about. They're running around saying that they have the word of God, but they really don't. They're going around saying, thus says the Lord. And God goes, I didn't say that. I didn't say those words that they're going around saying. It's coming out of their own head. It's their own thinking, even though they claim for it to be from God. You'll notice that God uses a vivid image now to explain the problem with this. Verse four, your prophets have been like jackals among ruins, O Israel. You have not gone up into the breaches or repaired a wall for the house of Israel so that it might stand in battle on the day of the Lord. They have envisioned falsehood and lying divination. They say, says the Lord, when the Lord has not sent them. And yet they wait for the fulfillment of their word. Have you not seen a false vision or uttered a lying divination when you have said, uh, says the Lord, even though I did not speak? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have uttered falsehood and envisioned lies, I am against you, says the Lord God. I think it is so interesting that he uses this next picture and says, so here's what your prophets are like. They're like jackals running on broken walls, causing them to fall down even more. That's a strange kind of idea. But the imagery is that the prophet should have been proclaiming God's word so that it would have rebuilt the walls. Now, don't think of rebuilding the walls in a physical sense. But think of it in a spiritual way. Here are the people who are in sin. They're broken by their sins. And here they are in exile and captivity. And the people should have been proclaiming the word of God that would have brought a restoration to them. That would have built them back up so that you see the words in verse 5 that they would be able to stand when the day of the Lord came. So in essence, this is you should have had these people proclaiming God's word so they would have been ready for the day of the Lord. But I think we understand what what the problem is. Proclaiming to people to get ready for the day of the Lord is not really a popular message. (laughs) Telling everybody, you need to repent and get ready because destruction is coming and judgment is coming and a big warning for for all that God is going to do is not a, a very popular message. And so that's why you see this visual is that the prophets should have been restoring the hearts of the people through their preaching. They should have been proclaiming, here's what God says, thus says the Lord. But instead of doing that, they're instead proclaiming their own ideas and their own imaginations and their own way of thinking. I think this is the second picture that God is giving as you see it in this chapter about the problem of how they got to this point. 
How are they so darkened in their thinking and futile in their understanding? How did they get so far from God? And the picture here is in verse 3. They're proclaiming messages from the wisdom that's found inside of them. They're teaching what's in their own spirits. They're proclaiming their own imaginations. And friends, that's ultimately the problem of proclaiming messages that we want to hear. Is that doesn't build us up. That doesn't get us ready for the day. And yet that is such a popular thing to do. It doesn't take long to reach outside and see what's going on in the general religious world and Christendom and to see that the messages are just tell people about God's love. Just tell everybody we're, we're all good. Proclaim that, you know, the way you're living is, is a okay. Don't say anything about judgment. And if you do say it's far away, tell them they're everything that they're, they're doing is fine. And one of the reasons why I think that happens is what is revealed here in the text is if you tell people what they don't want to hear, guess what they're going to do? They're not going to give their money and they're not going to stay. Is that too raw and real? That's the deal. If you tell people what it says, well, then they're not going to give their money anymore and they're not going to stay. And I want you to notice that's exactly what he says here. Look in verse 19 of chapter 13. You have profaned me among my people for handfuls of barley and for pieces of bread, putting to death persons who should not die, keeping alive persons who should not live by your lies to my people who listen to lies. Why are they preaching what they're preaching? For the money. <laughs> Why are they not saying what God's real message? Because they just want to get paid. Just, you know, handfuls of barley, please. Please make sure that you give me what I want. And they want the crowd and they want the money. And I think it is so interesting that you see here all the way back in the days of Ezekiel. Same issue. Hey, guess what? Almost, almost 3,000 years later, 2,500 some years later, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. People preaching from their imaginations, preaching from their own desires, telling people what they want to hear. And, and you see the visual that God uses of what is happening. Notice back in verse 10, he uses another visual. Verse 10, he says, because in truth... Because they have misled my people saying peace when there is no peace. And because when the people build a wall, these prophets smear whitewash on it. Say to those who smear whitewash on it that it shall fall. There shall be a deluge of rain. Great hailstones will fall and the stormy wind will break out. And when the wall falls, will it not be said to you, where is the whitewash you smeared on it? You don't love the image. Here, here's the visual. Of, uh, the, the prophets are running around going, we're doing great. Everything's fine. Keep living how you want to live. You're, you're wonderful. Your sins are fine. God's not going to do anything about it. And so what you have this visual is Israel is this broken wall and the prophets are just painting it to make it look new. You just imagine them out there with a roller going, no, oh, no, we're fine. Everything looks good right here. Don't look carefully at these walls. We'll just keep painting them so that it look, all looks real good. We're great, right? And here God goes, it's going to rain and it's all going to fall down. It is not going to stand. You can keep pretending. You can put the veneer up. You can have this shell for everybody that you're truly God's people, but it's all going to collapse. 
And so he uses that image here of of they are just simply broken down old dirty walls that are not going to survive. But rather than proclaiming that message to Israel to get them to repent, instead they are proclaiming messages that justify them. Uh, I don't know how to say this, but I I think about these things when when I read about proclamations against prophets and messages that are said about how many times teachings and messages and sermons can be built on the creativity of the preacher rather than on what the word of God says. And how many times teachings and sermons and messages can be about making people feel good and they'll high five you at the end. Oh, that was great. Rather than revealing the cracks in the walls. And saying, here's what we need to do. Here's the place of sin. Here's where we need to repent. Here's the change that needs to happen. It is so important that we look for, thus says the Lord, and it not be just because the person says, thus says the Lord. These guys were running around saying that, thus says the Lord. And God goes, nah, nah, that's not what it actually said. That's not what it really said. And that we would depend upon that at all costs. That we cannot depend upon false messages. And I've said this to you so many times, and it's worth saying until my dying breath. If you can't see it in God's word, you cannot accept it. If you cannot see it right here, you cannot accept it. And we must be a people who speak the very words of God. And may we be a people who want to hear the very words of God. And not simply what comes out of the imagination of teachers or the good sounding words of creativity. We want thus says the Lord. And this was their second problem. They had gone into broken thinking and were futile in their understanding and did not know God because they didn't really have the word of God. They had the ideas of the prophets. And now that's the second one in the third picture in in chapter 14, our third picture of how we get broken in our thinking. Uh, Chapter 14 is another stunning image that God uses. In chapter 14, you'll notice Ezekiel is told here, certain elders of Israel came to me and sat down before me. And the word of the Lord came to me, mortal, these men have taken their idols into their hearts And place their iniquity as a stumbling block before them. Shall I let myself be consulted by them? This is a stunning image. And notice this isn't just average Joshmo Israelite, which would be bad enough. It says we have the elders of Israel. These are supposed to be the spiritual leaders. And we're told the spiritual leaders of Israel have put idols in their hearts. Talk to you many times. Sometimes we only visualize idols as things of stone and wood and metal. And here's God going, you know, there's idolatry in the heart, right? You know that there's idols in the heart. And that's what they've done. They have taken idols into their hearts. And these leaders then in doing that are putting sin before themselves and before others as a stumbling block. And it's important that we remember that broken thinking comes. When there's idols in the heart. That is probably one of the biggest distortions we have is we are so captured by our idols and so captured by our desires and what we want to do that changes how we look at God. 
It changes how we look at his word. It changes how we look at the world. It changes how we look at other people. So we're not thinking about the things of God. We're really thinking about those desires. Well, here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to fulfill. Here are my desires. Friends, an idol can be identified as anything where our greatest affections lie, anything that we put our trust in, anything that we put our hope in, anything that we depend upon, anything that we need is an idol before God. And it is so easy for that to happen. Now, I want you to notice something. The people are captured by idols. They have idols in their heart. But did you notice what they're still doing according to verse 3? They still claim to want to ask God directions. Did you catch that? They're still inquiring of God. I've got my idols. I'm living my life. I'm doing what I want to do. Let me follow my own ways. We've got our prophets telling us we're a-okay, living life how we want to go. And yet, they still want to come to Ezekiel and say, so would you inquire of God for us and tell us what God has to say about these things? And so God is asking, should I be consulted by a people who have idols in their hearts? That's an interesting question. It's especially important to consider and particularly interesting to think about because in verse 7 he observes that people who have these idols in their hearts, he describes them as separating themselves from me. Idols separate us from God. We cannot hold idols in our hearts, put them and elevate them in such a way that we follow our desires, our our wishes, our thinking, and think that we're fine with God, that we haven't separated ourselves from God. And I want you to think about it, just not looking at the text, what do you think God would answer right here? When God says, they have idols in their hearts, and they're listening to these false prophets, and they're doing whatever their heart desires, they carry that out, and now they want to come to me, and they want to inquire of me. Should I listen to them? I feel like I read that and go, resounding no, right? You want to come talk to me? No. (laughs) You're not going to talk to me. You have idols in your heart. Put away your idols. Then you can come to me and then I will respond to you. Would you not expect verse 4 to say that? I did. Look at what it says in verse 4. Therefore, speak to them and say to them, thus says the Lord God, any of those of the house of Israel who take their idols into their hearts and place their iniquity as a stumbling block before them and yet come to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer those who come with a multitude of their idols. Hold on a minute, Lord. They have put sins in front of them, stumbling blocks in front of them, idols in their hearts, multitudes of idols. And God tells Ezekiel, and when they come to inquire of you, I'm going to answer them. You know, why? Just tell them to get out of here. Tell them they're a bunch of hypocrites. Tell them they're false. Look at verse 5. Why is God going to do this? In order that I may take hold of their hearts of the house of Israel, all of whom are separated from me through their idols. Wow. God says, 
They have multitudes of idols in their hearts. They're throwing down stumbling blocks. They're sinning unbelievably. But if they come to you, Ezekiel, they want to inquire of me. You go ahead and have them inquire of me because my goal is to recapture their heart. I want to seize their heart back. Right now, their heart is spun up in idols. They're captured by their own desires. They're twisted in their futile thinking. And God says, what I want to do is get them to see that I'm the one they need. I want them to come to me and see that I have this great love for them and such a great desire for them that I will answer them and capture their heart. I'll take hold of it again because they're far from me and this will bring them back. In fact, you'll notice that's where he goes in verse six. So say this to the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, repent and turn from your idols and turn away your faces from all your abominations. It is just stunning to me how God always says, let me try to capture your heart. And when I capture your heart, that's going to make you want to get rid of those idols and follow me. I'm always amazed by that. And it's a good thing God does that. Because if God sat in the corner with his arms crossed and said, I'll be here for you after you get rid of all the idols. None of us would be over there. We need him to act first. We need him to come and do a great work on us. And us be enthralled and amazed by his love and mercy. So that we see that. And turn and throw away our idols. That's what God says he's attempting to do for these people. Is to get them to see how desperately they need God. And here's a great visual to see how much they need God. Go down to chapter chapter 14 verse 12. Here's the word the Lord came to me. Mortal, when the land sins against me by acting faithlessly, and I stretch out my hand against it and break its staff of bread and send famine upon it, And cut off from it human beings and animals. Even if Noah, Daniel, and Job, these three were in it, they would save their own lives by their righteousness, says the Lord. (laughs) I want you to get a sense of this. Because he just carries that out through the rest of the chapter. He keeps bringing up Noah and Job and Daniel. And he keeps saying, I need you to understand how badly you need me. Because even if Noah and Job and Daniel lived in the land, they wouldn't be able to intercede for you. They'd only be able to rescue themselves. But they couldn't do enough to intercede for you. That's pretty stunning. But really gives a massive visual of what we need from God. No human can intercede on our behalf. We need God to intercede. Were Noah and Daniel and Job to stand here, that would not be enough for us. And God is trying to recapture our hearts and kick out those idols By saying, here, I'm trying to show you that I will do what no one else can do. I will be the one to intercede. I will be the one to help. And so, friends, it's the effect of idols in our hearts that ultimately becomes the problem. It is the thing that leads to futile thinking and darkened understanding. It is why you see in the New Testament 
the writers and, and the apostles explaining you need to get rid of idols because that is where the darkening comes in. When we follow our passions, listening to our own desires, following the passions of the flesh, that's what captures our heart. And that's what leads us to not see clearly, to see life right, to see God right. And so you get an amazing picture that is given in this section about idolatry. At the end of the day, idolatry is, is, is the problem and that idolatry is listening to ourselves. And the effect of it is a separation from God. Friends, I don't know that we always see the importance of what uh, following our heart, listening to our own spirit, seeking our own desires, following the passions of our flesh, doing what seems good to us, doing what is comfortable, that that separates us from God. And that's how these people got here. As the prophets were saying, peace, you keep living how you want to live. And the people are following their own desires and their own idols. And God is saying, You're separating yourselves from me. And ultimately what that ends up meaning is that God loses priority. Jesus told a parable like that. Where he talked about how the sower would go out to sow. And he's casting the seed. And there is seed that ends up in this thorny ground. And sure it takes, it sinks in. But over time, the weeds and the thorns begin to just absolutely choke out the seed that was planted. And that is the effect of idolatry is God loses our priority. God becomes the place of convenience. God becomes the place of last resort. He's there when it's comfortable, when we're not tired, when we've got nothing else to do. And we just go through all the processes of everything else that is more important to us in this world than God. And God is not a God who sits on the sideline. And I hope that what you would see in these three chapters is that the only way to put an end to idolatry is to allow God to recapture our hearts. That we would become a people who would truly hear what God is saying and know who he is and allow that love and mercy to be on display before our very eyes. Because if we are not seeing who he is, he can't recapture our hearts. At least the people were saying, I think I'll inquire of God. And God doesn't go, no, I'm not going to let them do that. God goes, yes, let them inquire of me so I can get them to see that they need me. And I can be the answer to them. I can be the intercessor. I can be the one that we need. And so I'll end these, this lesson in this way is that ultimately what happens is that sin is the thing that blocks us from seeing and hearing truth and responding to it. Now that's easy in an obvious sense because we look at the world and go, why is the world gone mad? Why can't they see truth? Why don't they understand? And we would say, well, this is the clear answer. But apply it to ourselves. Here's the people of God that that's happened to. And they can't see the truth of their own lives. It's easy to look out there and go, look at how they sin. Look at all the terrible things. Look at how awful it is. And not consider, well, what are the idols in our hearts? And those idols are not only what separates us from God, but leads to broken thinking, futile understanding. And so we become so darkened 
that we become separated in such a way that we cannot come back. And that is the great concern that God has for his people here. And certainly God has that great concern for us as well. Do not let the darkened thinking of this world override in your heart and in your mind this wonderful truth. We need an intercessor. And we need Jesus. Listen to him. And let him do the work of ripping those idols back out of our hearts. See the glory of God. And let that be so transforming that you won't want those desires and those passions and those lusts anymore. Instead, you'll want God above all else. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, it is, it is easy to be caught up and captured by the thinking of the world and to be entangled by the desires of the world and to adopt the thinking of the culture. And Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes and open our ears so that we would see you clearly, that we would hear your truth, that we would allow your word to penetrate deeply into our ears, deeply into our minds, deeply into our hearts, so that we would be convicted of the things that we can see in our lives that are clearly idols, Lord, help us to see those failures. Help us to see those areas of weaknesses. Help us to see the hidden sins. Help us to rip out the idols that we don't allow others to see and think that you do not see. And Lord, thank you for being a God who listens to us even when we walk so far away from you. Lord, and we are so captured by our idols and captured by our desires. It is truly amazing that you say that you will continue to hear us and that you will actively work to recapture our hearts so that we would desire you again. Lord, I pray that you would do that work. Lord, that you do that work in a mighty way across this country and across this globe. That you would do that work in the hearts of everyone who is here. Help us to see who you are and help us to throw those idols down and to see them as worthless and nothing because, Lord, you are an all-satisfying God. Lord, help us to have every desire and every need satisfied by you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Sing an invitation song. We invite you to come to an all-satisfying God. What an amazing picture of who God is who is asking you to see his love Get those idols out and come to him and enjoy a deep relationship with him and see him for who he really is. Can we help you do that tonight to turn away from sin and be a follower of him with all of your heart? Won't you come and do that now while we stand and while we sing?